0: Hello, and welcome to the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast series. I'm your host, Jude Jenison from Leaders by Nature, and in this podcast, I interview leaders from different organisations and industries to find out more about the challenges they face in leading through uncertainty and how they overcome them. This week, I'm interviewing Gareth Parry, the CEO of Remploy. Remploy is the UK's leading disability specialist and the company has undergone substantial change throughout its existence. Gareth talks about the benefits of inclusive workplaces, both physically and mentally, and he openly shares his personal experience of depression. His depression didn't stop him becoming a CEO, and I think he's an inspiration to all of us that we can develop business and careers that are life-enhancing for individuals, businesses and communities, regardless of the circumstances. I hope you enjoy this one. Hello, Gareth. Hi. Thank you for joining me this morning. I'm delighted. Um, could you explain to the listeners who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so, my name is Gareth Parry. I'm the chief executive of an organisation called Remploy Limited. Um, we're a UK wide organisation and uh, we uh, are a for profit organisation. Uh, however, our mission in life is to um, achieve equality for disabled people in the workplace, and we do that by working with employers to create more employment opportunities for disabled people and we work with disabled people to give them the skills and confidence to move into work um, but also we provide retention services to keep people who become sick or disabled whilst in work uh, to prevent them from falling out of work.
0: Wow so it sounds like an amazing amazing Organization. It is. It is. It's, a,
1: it, it's a fantastic organization. I mean, I've worked for the business for 30 years now. I've been chief executive for two years, um, but I've been there for three decades. But when, wow. when I joined Remploy, uh, Remploy was a manufacturing business. We employed 10,000 disabled people. Um, across 92 factories uh in the uk and those old 1950s black and white city pathway movies where you have rows of people in wheelchairs doing basket weaving or putting matches in matchboxes that was Remploy back in the 40s and 50s right. that's where those cine films come from uh, however what's happened over the last sort of 70 years is remploy has really moved through the times in terms of practice and policy for the employment of disabled people. Uh, Today, we don't have any factories, we don't employ disabled people in those sort of sheltered, supported factory environments. Uh, We still have an ethos of, because of our mission, um, I think it's still really important as a business that we uh, employ a high proportion of disabled people. So one in three people who work for Employ. Uh, have a disability or a work limiting health condition Mm -hmm. I don't get any we don't get any um, government funding to do that we do it because we think it's the right thing to do Mm -hmm. we focus on what disabled people can do Mm -hmm. Um, and so if we make the right workplace adjustments we can get a lot of people out of it so we are a successful commercial business but as a business we are chalk and cheese from the business that I joined Mm -hmm. 30 years ago as I say which was one of the top manufacturing businesses in the UK. Today we're a professional services organisation.
0: So it's, you've seen huge change over the Absolutely, yeah, years. so it's
1: the same brand and the same kind of ethos and culture of empowering and getting the best out of disabled people and people's talent and their capability. Uh, but the way we do that today is much more reflective of social policy, uh, you know, society that wants more inclusivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and diversity in workforces. So you know we don't have disabled people in factories in, in, in local communities anymore. Um, you know, so we've very, has very much been at the at the forefront of social the social policy agenda of the employment strategy for disabled people in the UK. That I mean,
0: that's incredible because you know people talk about diversity and inclusivity, but you're actually living and breathing it, aren't you? I mean, what are the benefits for you of employing one in three people? with a disability?
1: So, so I think that, um, I mean, the, 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 the biggest, most obvious benefit for us is the services we deliver are to uh, predominantly to people with disabilities or with limited, limited health conditions. So having a workforce that reflects the customer group that we're mm. serving uh, means that we have, I believe, an inherent understanding of the support needs of the, of the community of people, customers that we have. Um, but there's also a greater connection with the customer. There's that inherent know-how uh, we, you know, the, the, the people that know how to put the best workplace adjustments are the people that deal with those workplace adjustments day in, day out, mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. of their lives. So <coughs> so having a good proportion of people with those disabilities in our own workforce, and at every level as well in the business, so it's not just delivery staff or back office administrators. Mm-hmm. You know, we have senior managers um, who have a whole range of disabilities. And of course, disability itself has changed mm-hmm. over the years, that 30, 40 years ago, it's very much around physical disabilities, um, partial, you know, sight, sight impairments, hearing impairments. Today, it's learning difficulties, learning disabilities. It's mental health, mm-hmm. you know. So we've seen the profile of disability change over the years, and that means the, the range of services we deliver as a business has changed as well over that mm-hmm. period of
0: time. Kiki, what would your advice be to other organisations that are looking to be more inclusive?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I mean, uh, that the, the, the we very much focus on. We don't do it, um, as I say, I go back to the fact we are a £50 million pound business. We employ 700 people. Um, I have shareholders. Um, so I have to run the organization as a profit making going concern. So we don't do what we do through charity mm. uh, we do it because there's very clear business benefits to us for, for what we do so um, so our retention rates the people that stay with us we, people stay with us uh, longer um, uh, and and our turnover is lower than comparable organizations in the sectors in which we operate so there 's a business benefit in terms of you know retention uh, and turnover rates
0: and what do you put um, that down to
1: well I think it's because people connect to the organization I think there's a there's a really strong and mission drive in, in Remploy around, yes, we could, we do a real job, we, we run a, a successful business, um, but we're also delivering great community impact. We change people's lives, we improve workplaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it's not just the retention rate, it's just going back to the business benefits. It's also, you know, our absenteeism rate is, is about three percent mm. and you know so the, the the myth that if you employ more disabled people they'll have more time off it is nonsense true. and I think that, that as well as wanting to provide great services I want my employer to be an organization that that, that can really show off the business benefits yeah. of employing a, a diverse workforce and, and people with differences of talent
0: mm. and you know my, my initial thoughts when I when I first met you were that I was surprised it was a for-profit organisation and not a social enterprise because you know a lot of organisations are set up either as charitable organisations or as social enterprises. So yeah, well, we, so we
1: were we were in the public sector for the first seventy years of existence. We've right. only been for profit for the last two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, so so employee, um, it was effectively a quango. It was mm-hmm. an arm's length public public uh, body. Um, and I th- But I think a few years ago, we got to a point as an organisation where we, we wanted to impact on more people's lives, more pe- more communities on, with more employers. And actually the fact that we were a government agency constrained us because we couldn't grow the business. We couldn't, we were being held back from bidding for certain commercial contracts because the whole strategy of public sector was to move the risk to private sector from public sector. So there's no incentive for government to give our employee contracts because it kept the risk inside the public sector. Right. Um, so we, 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 we couldn't grow the business. Um, because we were a public body, we had limited capability to borrow and invest in new services and diversification. So I think eventually we came up with a strategy that said, look, we, we really need to leave government ownership so um, so we took a proposition to government that, ex- that Remploy should exit um, public ownership and uh, long story short we exited in April 2015 um, as a new organisation but as a mutual venture between uh, a company called Maximus who are a, a US based um, health, healthcare and, and welfare services provider and, uh, and a joint, in a joint venture with the employees of the business. So we created this this um, environment where everybody who works for Employee became an, an owner mm-hmm. of the business. Um, so 30% of the business was effectively gifted to the employees. Uh, and what with the blend we were trying to get was, you know, commercial f- deep pockets and commercial experience from from a global US private organization like Maximus, but keeping the ethos and the mission and the passion that exists in Remploy for what we do, and so uh, the perfect mix for us was to get both. Mm. And uh, and you know, two and a half years in, that's we you know we still have that blend. Um, and you know, one of my challenges as chief executive is is, is keeping that balance right. Um, so there are lots of people who work for Remploy who are very socially minded, socially driven. Perhaps still feel a little bit uncomfortable with the profit ethos mm. of the business, but, but, but for me, it's, it's a very easy circle to square. In that, the more people we get into work and keep in work, the more we get paid, mm. and therefore, yes, we make profit from that, but actually, we can reinvest that money back in the business to yeah. support more disabled people yeah. into work. So, it's a, it's a virtuous circle where everybody wins.
0: I think you know, it's a great example of inclusivity, but also of organizations making profit through something that is socially responsible and actually does great work in society. Yeah, and I think what I get,
1: what I get really excited about was, is that um, you know, the profits that are shared proportionally between Maximus and the employees of the business, the employees of the business then get to decide what to do with those profits. So the, the shareholding of the business that belongs to employees sits in a trust. Mm-hmm. So if you're an employee of the business, you're a member of the trust, but the dividend goes to the trust, right. and then the trust decides what to do with that money. So, so for, if I give you an example, we've just, we've just finished a financial year where there's been a significant pay Um, We were able to make a a dividend payment to the trust of one and a half million pounds. Those trustees then work with the workforce to decide what to do. So we're at the moment, we're in the process of um, effectively granting um, money to local charities that will aggregate up to 300,000 pounds. Fantastic. And the employees of the business get a say in which charities Great. benefit from that. Yeah. So the fact that we have local teams spread around the UK, they're able to nominate local charities for anything between sort of five hundred pounds up to two and a half thousand pounds. And then last year uh, we gave fifty thousand pounds to Cancer Research. Right. Uh, I say we, the employees yes. of the business, yes. made yeah. those decisions. So it's it's really empowering in terms of saying yes, we want to make profit, but actually. A, 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 you know, a decent proportion of Remploy's profits um, go to the you know, similarly mission-led organizations so they tend to all be disability related charities mm-hmm. so it's, it's close to the mission of what Remploys are yeah. all about.
0: Yeah that makes sense. So clearly there's been a lot of change over the years what are, your challenge, what are the challenges that you've faced of leading through uncertainty and how have you overcome them?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, it's a really personal question because we're going through a huge change now as an organisation. So as I say, when we came out of government ownership, um, what came with Remploy was a fairly substantial contract with governments, which had a two year life to it. That contract, to all intents and purposes, has now come to an end. Um, and, and is winding down, hasn't been re procured by government in the same way. So, we were not able to uh, recommission that contract to the same scale that we had. So, that was a contract that used to finance 75% of our employees' revenues. Uh-huh. That effectively has disappeared. So, what we're doing at the moment as an organization is we're having to um, diversify the organization because our core market um, has reduced, unemployment has gone down, so the government isn't spending as much money. On 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 you know commercial contracts for supporting the unemployed people, right. um, and therefore that market has shrunk. So what we're having to do now is look at um, diversification into new and adjacent markets. Um, and, and grow new revenue lines, which take advantage of our core competence as an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but whilst we're doing that, then we've got the unfortunate reality that our core market has shrunk and therefore we're having to resize the business accordingly. So, you know, we are going through a process of significant change at the moment where, mm-hmm. you know, sadly, having had a, a hugely successful year last year, we're now having to respond to those market changes. And right here, right now, I'm in the process of making about 200 People redundant mm, uh, right, across the business, that, yeah. and that is a tough message for mm. the business because you know it's the realities of working mm. in a commercial world. Mm. Um, it's 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 um, it's not that Remploy is a bad business; it's that the markets in which Remploy traditionally operates are going through radical change, mm. and uh, and we're having to, to, to reshape the organisation. So we've got that practical stuff of of, of, of um, redundancies and, and restructuring the business, whilst at the same time putting a lot of effort into, into diversification and growth of new markets. So, mm-hmm. you know, right here, right now, every direction I look at, I've got change
2: mm-hmm. in,
1: in, to varying degrees coming, coming yeah. at me. And, and the leadership team and everybody in the business, you know, we're all trying to deal with all the change that's going on, mm-hmm. some of which is stimulated by the market, much of which is stimulated by ourselves.
0: And how do, how do you keep people engaged? I mean, 200 out of, I think you said 700, that's quite a substantial yeah. reduction in workforce. How do you... Yeah. How do you keep people engaged? How do you keep morale going through so, that?
1: So I think that the, 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 the one, th- I mean, we have to adopt a whole range of tools and techniques, but the one thing um, we can, I, I particularly come back to and continue to draw the, people work for Remploy, um most people who work for Remploy really believe in what Remploy does. Mm. And there's a really strong social conscience in the organization. Mm. So even in times of change, I think pulling back on that mission and asking people to stay true to what what Remploy is all about and the reasons they joined and stayed with Remploy, um, and asking for that loyalty, that professionalism, relying on the values that we have as a business, um, which I think our, our colleagues across the business really buy into. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's a lot of trust that has to go with that, and. Um, and I, and, I th- and I think that the, the employees have responded well. So we, we, we haven't announced the restructuring very recently. We've been talking to the business. Again, on the, on the basis that everyone who works for Employee is a co-owner of Remploy. The, the changes that we're going through haven't come as a surprise. We've been talking to the business Probably for getting on for nine to 12 months about oh, the changes coming. So, preparing yeah. the mindset. So, this is. This and you think a,
0: that makes a difference? Oh, a huge
1: amount of difference, yeah. yeah. So, we were able to prepare people for what was coming. But people are, are able to get their heads around it. And, and I think that, um, and, and keeping that very strong mission message consistent right through the last nine to 12 months. I mean, I mean it's a message we deliver consistently anyway, but in the context of change, um, keeping that, that mission going uh, has been really important. Um, So I think that's what we do at an organisational level. The flip side of that is, um, you know, I very much have a strong belief that that within any change programme, the more responsibility and accountability you can pass to the individual employee for themselves as well, that, that that is the best way to do things because I think that, that you know, we all know life gets to be difficult and none of us like it when things are taken out of our control mm. and that's what causes stress and anxiety mm. for people um, and, and so I think that, that throughout this process what we've tried to do is empower people to make their own decisions in line with business parameters. Mm. Um, so that people can try and take as much control of their own destiny as far as is reasonably possible in the circumstances
0: yeah and i think you know that's a it's a tricky one that isn't it because the the very nature of uncertainty is that you can't really control any of it no, you, so it's, no, it's, it's about looking yeah. for the bits that you can that you can influence and that um and rather rather than just one person controlling it and and people feeling done to it's about Finding ways so that people do feel that they have some influence at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's I I think that's right. And I think that um, uh, There's a leap of faith involved, Uh, you know, I think I like to think uh, it gets a bit roasted into spectacles But I like to think of our employers as a a large family uh, a community of people Uh, And I think with that you have to trust uh, people and you have to empower people And, uh, okay, you probably need to have some safety mechanisms in place to say, well, what if something goes wrong because life isn't always perfect and rosy? Um, And how do you respond to that? But if I give you an example, so once we'd identified all the locations that unfortunately we needed to close because we wouldn't have a contract going forward, we basically asked the teams to work between themselves because we had um, services we still had to deliver to manage the contract out. So what we, need, what we didn't do is just close our operations and everybody go on the same day. Mm. We've had to very much adopt a phased approach, but rather than us as a business impose the phasing on people and dictate people's leave dates, we asked our teams to work together as teams and see how they could organize their own leave dates mm. in, in order relative to their own preferences their own personal circumstances their own lifestyle choices so some people naturally stood up and said i'll go early Mm -hmm. and other people said no i would like to stay for as long as i possibly can Mm. and and by and large that process has worked really well and um and i think that we've had little trouble the trade unions have been delighted with the way um everybody's responded to it and it's you know I'm uh, in a very difficult circumstances it's it's proven to be a great way mm. and so so for me it's really important we, we give people that 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 control um, over their own destiny
0: yeah and what I'm hearing is that you're you're giving people choice within parameters so ultimately there is no choice if a particular site is going That's right, yeah. but you're giving them at least some say of the the time scale of when they when they go Which, yeah. you know for some who will be looking for jobs then you know if they find a job somewhere else then then that will determine their time scale won't it and i think i think that's one of the challenges with with a, you know with this kind of activity is that often people know that they're going on a specific date um, and then very much feel done to
1: yeah i think i think the whole idea of trying to empower that type of local decision making talking to people early, preparing people for the change that's afoot. Um, it's about, it's trying to get no surprises. Um, it's trying to ensure that people trust the leadership of the business mm. so that we're not leading people down garden paths or keeping information from them. Uh, uh, for me, I, I think that, that um, I've kind of learned some of, some of the why we do that on a very personal level um, for me. Because, um, I mean, I've worked for an employed and worked in the disability arena for three decades, as I mentioned earlier. But about three years ago, I, I found my own life uh, became affected and, and I, I was diagnosed with depression. Right. Um, and I started to experience, this was before I was chief executive, I was, I was director of strategy at the time. Um, and it was bizarre because I, part of my remit was that I ran some fairly high profile mental health contracts in the UK. And yet, all of a sudden, some of this thing you know, this train came along and hit me for six and and I was diagnosed as, as, as having um, depression. I fell into quite a severe depressive episode mm-hmm. and, um, and and that was a bit of a wake up call really and um, I mean I got through that and, and I think what was really important for me during that time, even though I kind of knew the theory, I really did begin to appreciate what work did for me in that set of circumstances, because my depression was probably largely driven by changes that were happening in my personal life. Mm-hmm. And actually throughout the whole period, whilst my personal life was was in complete chaos, what work did was it gave me structure, it mm. gave me a purpose to get up in the morning, mm-hmm. uh, it gave me some routine, um, and, it, and it really gave me some stability in what, what otherwise was a chaotic life. Mm. Um, so I managed to continue to work through that through that period of time, by and large. Um, but I, I, I think what it did is it really, I really understood even better the importance of being in control of your own destiny, mm. and the importance of being in control of your own life. And when other people do things to us, that's when we, as I say, we feel that stress, we feel that anxiety, um, and it and it can lead to low mood, um, you know. And and I think that 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 having been through that personal experience. Um, I think I've just learned that um, whilst I've experienced change constantly over, over, over an employment record of 30 years, I think I've, it, it, because of my personal experience I began to realise more recently just how important it is to try and give individuals that, that, that opportunity to take control themselves. Mm. Um, so we did a change programme about three years ago. In the business, not anywhere near the size of what we are doing now, and we didn't do it like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we very much kept it quite secretive. We were—I was a bit worried about um, you know uh, it leaking, um, risk on business performance, that sort of stuff. So we kept it from people, and then we announced it, and we got a really negative reaction,
2: mm-hmm. and and
1: so. Um, it was a very conscious decision this time round to learn from that past experience, but also take some of the more emotional feelings that, that, that i would experienced the last couple of years and say, okay, this time round, and it was a much bigger change in mm. the business. So this time round, we're going to do it completely differently. So, you know, that consistent messaging of the importance of why Remplore exists, doing what we're all here to do, and therefore the professionalism and integrity that comes with that combined with trying to give individuals as much of a say in how well, things are done. Well, it's inclusivity
0: again, isn't it, In it, of a different kind. It's including people in the conversation and in the decision-making, so that people aren't just done to. Yeah. They, yeah. they actually feel like they're a part of it. And I guess then, do, do you find that people are more emotionally invested then, because they've been part of making the decisions?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I think that, that um, um, uh, you know that we, 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 we have. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and pretend everything's perfect. We have seen a dip in performance levels, but, but that's, that's perfectly natural you mm. know, with mm. lots of people leaving. Plus, if, if nothing else, just frankly, the whole process of consultation, individual consultation, the amount of time that yeah. takes up, and it drains energy from people, particularly mm. managers who happen mm. to do multiple individuals. So huge respect for our management teams who've, who've done that. But throughout that, it, people then go back to the day job. Mm-hmm. You know, the day job doesn't go away, even mm-hmm. though it's going to come to an end at some point. So, um, so I think we have found people willing to continue to work. We haven't seen absenteeism um, change significantly, for example. So people are still coming to work mm-hmm. on time every day, are, are still working hard at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some natural challenges that, that, that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think it's just teaching us more and more around collaborative management styles mm. and, and the importance of um, being open and transparent um, in our business, which we naturally are inclined to do that anyway because of, say, of the of that employee ownership element yeah. that we have in the business. Um, but I think the, pro- the change programs that, that we've been going through recently just reinforced the need for, for openness and uh, collaboration with the workforce, with the trade unions, with, with our shareholders, mm. you know, with all partners really. Mm. Um, so we are a, a much more open, transparent organisation than I think we mm. used to be.
0: Mm. So how do you um, deal with the depression as a, as a CEO? Uh,
1: well, thankfully, uh, I, you know, it was, it's probably getting on for three years now since I was first diagnosed. Um, I don't think it ever goes away wholly, but I, I've you know so i've had a, a variety of things like medication um counseling um so you know cognitive behavioral therapy so on my on my road to recovery i've i've, I've gone through a number of things um I, I think that there's some lifestyle things i've learned about looking after myself mm-hmm. a bit more um it, it, when i when i got was diagnosed with the depression i, I wasn't the chief executive i was director of strategy so mm-hmm. i've actually subsequently been promoted to chief executive which is fantastic because i think that shows the level of support and understanding mm. um, from my board, because um, they knew what they were doing when yeah. they appointed me. They knew that that, that I'd had some challenges, um, uh, but but they were still confident enough to go to go ahead and, and appoint me in that position. So mm. so I've just learned how to look after myself. Mm. Before I, I do say some strange things that I, in a bizarre way, I think the depression has helped me as a chief executive because mm-hmm. it means I'm I'm much more. Um, decisive in what i work on where i spend my time right. um so i am very um work-life balance is can, can be a bit of a cliche in it but i, I don't overwork
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and, and yes i've got a family life and i need to spend time on that family life and i also i've learned to think about me
2: mm-hmm. i
1: guess if i look back a few years it was all about my work and my family mm-hmm. and actually I, I never featured anywhere in there yeah
2: uh,
1: and i i now find time for me but in the workplace, I'm, I'm more brutal in terms of, uh, not in my approach, but in terms of my decision making. <laughs> yeah, You know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm much clearer about where I spend my time, mm. the stuff that needs to uh, put my efforts into. Um, again, part of that is more delegation, more trust of colleagues. You mm. can't do it all as a chief executive. Mm. So uh, uh, um, again, it just reinforces all of that stuff. So as I say, in a strange way, the depression has helped me Become a better decision maker. Mm. Um, thankfully I haven't had depressive episodes now for you know probably getting on for over a year. Mm. Um, it's always there, you mm. can always feel it mm. under the skin mm. um, but I can manage it now and um, as I say I've, I've learned how to lead my life in a way that it, it doesn't manifest itself mm. in the way that it used to do.
0: And um, how, what would your advice be to other people who who may have mental health issues and who are still wanting to progress their careers? What would your
1: advice be for them? So, so I, I think the most important thing is find someone to talk to. So, uh, whether it's at work or whether it's outside of work, um, you know, whether it's a family member, a friend, a mental health professional, um, you know, I I think talking about it is is a huge relief. So, I don't just say that from personal experience, but obviously we work with with hundreds, if not thousands, of people around the UK experiencing mental health issues, mm. um, largely in the workplace. Um, and, and I think talking about it is the biggest step and, mm-hmm. and for, I do recognize for a lot of people that's a risk and mm-hmm. um, my own experience personally is you know even working in an organization like Remploy and Remploy standing for what it is it took me six months before I chose to declare it and mm-hmm. share it with with my my boss at the time the chief executive then and and executive colleagues because I, I have the same fears over the else fear mm-hmm. of will people think I'm weak will people think I'm strange, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, am I going to be an axe murderer? You get all those kind of things Mm -hmm. in your head around how will people respond. Well, actually what happened was uh, um, as soon as I started to talk about about my experiences, people started to say, oh, well, we'd noticed you haven't been yourself, Gareth. We couldn't work out what was going on. And and actually I got a huge amount of support Mm -hmm. and it very soon just released the burden that I'd been carrying around. Because I'd I'd been going to work, say for about six months when you know trying to hide this depression mm. that I had mm. which meant every day I was effectively putting a mask on and mm. pretending to be somebody I wasn't mm. and and over time you can do that for a while but eventually it drains and saps it's the exhausting,
2: energy yeah.
1: and and I began to realize that I was putting more energy into hiding my true self <laughs> than I was doing my job mm. and and I, ch- I managed to change that when I when I started to, to be more open about the challenges I had and, and my life changed at that point point. Mm. Um, because I could then focus on doing a, a really good job. Um, I felt I had more energy mm-hmm. and more openness. And I, all, my, all those natural supports of family, friends and, and workplace colleagues just kicked in. Mm. And um, so, so I would advise anybody to talk about it. Mm. Um, there is a little bit. Unfortunately, though, clearly there are people around who don't understand mental mm-hmm. health and there's always a bit of a risk. But
0: And I, what's your advice, to, to flip it the other way, what's your advice to... Um, employers and and leaders who have somebody in their team or their organisation with mental health issues, what's your advice to them who don't understand it? So, so
1: I, have, I have a big mantra in Remploy about making a mental health normal topic of conversation, just normalize the whole agenda. I think it's really important that business leaders open up the, the discussion. Uh, I'm not saying suggesting every, every business leader should step forward and talk about their own mental health, but I think make it a normal workplace discussion. So you talk about you know, if, if, we, if we have people in our workplaces who have mental health issues you know the statistics tell us that most workplaces have people with mental health issues this just hasn't been declared mm. so you know i think most people have heard the one in four that adults during their lifetime will have one, one in four adults will experience a mental health issue i think there's another statistic which fewer people know about which is at any one moment in time one in six adults of working age have a mental health issue mm. um, which says it's a, it's a, it's a here and now issue mm. and most workplaces will be employing people who are experiencing some kind of mental health issue. So, the, the, the biggest advice I will give to, to the individual is talk about your your mental health issue and, mm. and your supports will kick in, but likewise to businesses, it's make it a normal topic of conversation, yeah. Yeah. it's nothing to be scared of, um, get it out into the open and then once we can, you know, um, demystify mental health, we can mm. actually just get on. And, and start to improve it because uh, it is there's most of uh, support in the web but they're just natural support it's people looking out for you mm. it's people saying to you how are you today but being prepared to listen to the answer mm. rather than mm. just going through the lip service of how are you today and then actually not being interested mm. yeah. so it's just taking that little bit extra time that little bit more empathy and support normalize it but I, I'm, I'm a huge believer that workplaces that can do that will become more productive because people can just focus on doing the jobs instead of worrying about being found out.
0: Yeah, I mean it sounds like that's certainly what you're doing in, in Remploy, and you're, you're seeing the results of that. Well trying, of that.
1: trying to, yeah, but I'm not naive enough to think that, you know, de- de- declaring whether you have a mental health issue or any kind of disability, I guess, is a very personal yeah. choice. It's a yeah. big decision for some people. Um, so I absolutely get that there are, there are people in Remploy who've privately come up to me because they know I talk about my own issues. And uh, they've declared to me that they have but they've said I'm not ready to talk to my colleagues Gareth yeah. and, and 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 that's fine that's mm-hmm. a personal choice that says to me that even in an environment like Remploy I've still mm. got work to do mm. to create that right environment where people can be completely open and honest so you know I, I think you know there's, there's still so much more in society we need to do to mm. uh, uh, around mental health but I do think that you know the world we live in now is a fast-paced Environment, you know, we started this conversation by talking about change. You know, change happens all the time yeah. around us in every aspect of our lives, and and I think if you know, if we we just as society and as individuals just got to build up more resilience to mm-hmm. be able to deal with that change because mm-hmm. um, it feels. And we don't switch off now either. Well, because that's the we're issue, is Twenty four seven world, you know, mobile phones, emails, you know, it's. It's, um, and just the whole pace of life and the consumer society and, Mm. um, you know, change is is constant. I know Mm. that's a bit of a cliche, but it is the reality. Mm. So I think, you know, building individual and collective resilience is, is, um, we've still got a long way to go on that.
0: So, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night?
1: Right here, right now. Mm. Um, if I'm really honest with you, I've got a bike ride. <laughs>
2: I've
1: got a 100-mile bike ride in about four weeks. Oh, now, that would give me awake and, and I haven't done enough training and there's a lot of climbing involved and I keep looking at the weather and I keep thinking I need to get out and do more training. Um, so right here, right now, that's what keeps
2: me awake at night.
0: Yeah, and it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because there's that, what I'm hearing is that I haven't done enough training and I should and I must and, yeah. and, and, and the pressure that we can put ourselves under. Um, it doesn't matter whether it's personal or whether it's work pressure, it's very easy to put ourselves under pressure in that way by, by thinking we should have done something different from, from what we have done. Or
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And again, it comes back to the stress of modern day life. I mean, clearly there are things in work you know, with the, the challenges we've got, the changes mm. going on, the restructuring, the need to diversify and grow the business, uh, and, and yes, I'm anxious about that. And I know, but we've got plans in place, and I think we're we're, we're delivering those plans. Mm. Um, but it, yeah, I think I think it is right. It's not just about work; it's about personal life. It's mm. Um, but but I guess I I pick, I pick that because I'm really focused these days on looking after me because mm. um, I'm no good as a chief executive if I'm not in work mm. if I'm not present and I'm not not just not present but you know firing on all cylinders yeah, um, well. so I think you know looking after my my mind looking after my body. Um, Albeit if anybody saw me, they, they wouldn't necessarily think I look after my body that well. But I, you know, I think I think you've got to look after yourself as a chief executive because you're no good to the business mm. if you're not there mm-hmm. and you're not and you're not able to make good decisions and and be motivated and show good leadership and demonstrate the right behaviours to the business. Um, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. So. Uh, So, yeah, I do need to get a bit more sleep because of that issue.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, Gareth, it's been amazing to talk to you. There's so much, so much there. You know, we've covered mental health and mission and purpose and and inclusivity and a whole range of other things. So thank you very much for your time. I'm delighted. Thank you. What an inspiration Gareth is. I don't know a single organisation that has been so honest about losing a third of its workforce and including them in it. He really demonstrates that inclusivity is not just about including minority groups, but also about giving people choices in their circumstances and empowering them to make decisions within business parameters. He's clear that it's not perfect, but I don't think it ever could be. I think he's certainly got the closest to it. I hope you're inspired to consider your impact in every interaction and every decision you make. But above all, Consider where are you making things secret and where could you be more open inclusive and what might the impact of that be? That's it for this podcast. I was your host Jude Jennison from Leaders by Nature. Keep leading and I'll come back soon with the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. (laughs)